morning, I continue reading in the Gospel of John from chapter 20. And I'll read John 20, verses 11 to 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him. I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him. Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm cutting in and out, huh? Okay. Some years, Easter hope looks a lot like this. Other years, Easter hope feels so small. I remember the first year when, as a teenager, Easter didn't really feel like Easter anymore, at least not the Easter of my childhood. As a young kid, we'd get dressed up. And like many sisters of the 90s, my sister and I would often have matching Easter dresses with the poofy sleeves and the frilly socks. I know some of you can feel your ankles itching just at the thought of those. But that year when Easter hope didn't feel or felt small for the first time, I didn't really dress up. No special dress, no frilly socks, no Easter hat. And that year, the Easter candy from Grandma Hochhalter didn't come in the mail anymore because she had passed away. That year, there would be a white Easter lily at the front of the church dedicated to Grandma Hochhalter. And that year, I was scheduled to be in the nursery, and so I missed the brass instruments. Christ the Lord is risen today. And I missed our church's annual tradition of singing the Hallelujah Chorus. This was especially a bummer because I had finally learned it in high school choir. (laughs) Now I couldn't sing. Instead, I just peeked my head out of the nursery where I could barely see the alto section up front. Some years, Easter feels so small. 
Easter hope feels so fleeting. Fleeting like a false start to spring, like new shoots of green getting covered in snow. The hope of reprieve from death and suffering, the hope of a changed world order soon gives way to another mundane week of work, another week of school, another week of staring at screens and sending emails, of working outside in the cold and the wind, taking care of teething babies or children testing the limits of their independence and the limits of their parents' patience. It may not be the suffering that's getting to us anymore, just the boredom of a mundane life. It's the boredom of a whole year without family reunions, the boredom of a whole year without Stratford plays and symphony concerts, the boredom of a year with no cheering crowds at the hockey or baseball games, a year without lining up through the sanctuary to ooh and ah at the newly baptized babies of our congregation. It's the boredom of a whole year of muted celebrations and mostly empty spaces. Easter hope can feel so fleeting. Like one sunny and warm day before the wind and rain pick up again. The one day of singing and eating and resting before heading back into a third provincial lockdown. And we wonder if maybe we need to go check out the tomb Make sure it's really empty. Make sure everything really has changed and that Jesus isn't laying down on the job. It's these years when Easter hope feels small and fleeting, when it is a gift to read the account of Jesus' resurrection from the Gospel of John. Of all the Gospel accounts of the resurrection, his is by far the most muted, the most toned down. This week, my husband joked that it's like John really could have benefited from seeing the Avengers Endgame, you know, to, to see how you're really supposed to show this cosmic battle between life and death. Matthew's account hits some of those notes with the earthquake with the, the angel of the Lord coming down from heaven and the guards so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. Mark writes about the women leaving the tomb trembling and bewildered. The gospel writer Luke writes that when the women were in the tomb looking for the body, suddenly, out of nowhere, Two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, and in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. These writers get it. There is drama, action, flashy costumes in their stories. But John has basically none of that. No earthquake, no trembling and fear. No stone being dramatically rolled to the side with superhuman strength. No dazzling costumes. John does not draw us in with flash and drama. He's more subtle than that. John draws us in with grammar. 
You have to stick with me. I think I saw some eyes glaze over there. But John, much more than the other gospel writers, uses what's called the historic present tense. This is where the writer is talking about something that happened in the past, but they're narrating it in present tense verbs, like it's happening right there in front of you. Our English translations don't really pick up on this subtlety in John. But in John's gospel, the actual grammar of the passage is putting us right there in the action. It is happening around us. John's gospel gives us Easter in the present tense. In John's gospel, Mary Magdalene first brings the other disciples to the tomb, not because an angel had told her what had happened, but because she is now experiencing grief upon grief, first death, now a missing body. And the other disciples investigate, but they soon abandon Mary without a single word to her. And so she stands outside the tomb crying, crying because she cannot find the body of her Lord. As she weeps, she bends over to look inside the tomb. There's something of a cave. And she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been laid on a stone shelf, where his body had been laid to decompose, one where his head would have been, the other where his feet were supposed to be. In the Gospel of John, hope does not begin with a startle from the angels. In John's Gospel, there are no flashy costumes, no swooping angels from heaven. They're just described as wearing white. The angels didn't dress up for Easter this year. and They're just sitting there. Now, a lot has been made of this imagery throughout the centuries. There's suggestions that John is trying to evoke this image of the mercy seat. The mercy seat from the Ark of the Covenant. See, there were two angels on it. Uh, two statues, one in the front, one in the back. And this was the place where the high priest would offer the blood atonement. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement. John's Gospel is full of symbols and stuff, so it's, there's probably some merit to that imagery. Could be representing the mercy seat. And Jesus then is the atoning sacrifice that is offered to God at this place. But what strikes me this year so clearly is just how ordinary and unflashy John's description is compared to the other gospel writers. And even more distinct is that Mary is very much unbothered, unshocked, unafraid of them. How many times in the Bible is the first thing out of an angel's mouth, do not be afraid? All those stories from Advent and Christmas? Come on, John, where's the drama? Where's the fear? But in the Gospel of John, hope does not begin with a startle. It begins with a woman right there in front of us, in the present tense, so familiar in her grief. But history has not always been kind to Mary in this story or to those who weep on Easter. 
For example, John Calvin goes to great lengths to ensure that we don't think too highly of her devotion to Jesus as she stands outside the tomb. He writes, There is no great cause for praise that the woman remained at the tomb when the disciples, Peter and the beloved disciple, returned to the city. For the disciples took with them comfort and joy, but the woman was filled with idle and useless weeping, he says. In short, only a mixture of superstition and carnal feeling keeps her at the tomb. History has not always been kind to people who weep on Easter, to people who feel like hope is small or fleeting. But in John's Gospel, this is where hope begins. In weeping, in confusion, in wanting more than anything else to just be with Jesus. In John's Gospel, hope is not announced with trumpets and earthquakes and flashy costumes. Easter hope grows in much more ordinary ways. It begins with weeping. And then not in accusation and belittling, like Calvin is inclined to do, but in a tender question. Woman, why are you crying? They've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've put him. Mary turns from the tomb and sees Jesus, John tells us. Only she didn't realize it was Jesus because unlike a lot of art and illustrations, he actually does not come to her as a glowing, floating ghost. He comes looking like a gardener. Frederick Buechner imagines this gardener in the present tense with the red marks on his hands, looking like gardeners' hands that have handled too many roses without leather gloves on, and his feet scarred for miles of patrolling the gravel walkways to pick up gum wrappers with a pointed stick. Another question, this time from the gardener. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. Easter hope begins in weeping, in confusion, in tender questions, in wanting more than anything else to just be near to Jesus. And then it unfolds again in what Dale Bruner has called Jesus' shortest and most dramatic sermon. Mary, he says. Funny that this most dramatic sermon is something so simple, so ordinary as her name. But of course, we've been primed for this moment. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. The same one who is the gate and the good shepherd, the same one who is the resurrection and the life who raised her brother Lazarus from the dead, the one who is the true vine, comes to her looking like one who tends the vines. Hope begins in weeping, 
in tender questions asked by angels who forgot to dress up, in the garb of a gardener, in the ordinariness of a name, and it unfolds again in a hug. My rabbi, she cries as all of her hopes and fears collapse into a hug with her shepherd, her teacher, and her Lord. The embrace is made evident by the words of Jesus, not by the narrator's description. And Jesus tells Mary, don't cling to me or let go of me. Not, as some older versions have put it, do not touch me. See, the verb is telling her to stop something she's already doing. There has been so much ink spilled over this question of whether or not Mary and Jesus actually hugged. If she was indeed permitted to hug Jesus in his resurrected state, or if she had to give up their former relation and adopt to some supernatural, ethereal, spiritual Jesus. And I think it's worth pausing at this point. Because all through the Gospel of John, Jesus has been revealing who he is in these I am statements. He teaches who he is through these things that his disciples could reach out and touch or see with their eyes. Bread, light, gate, shepherd, a brother brought back to life, a roadmap and a vine. I am. It's a perpetual present tense. And so the significance for the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus for these statements is that the resurrection is what keeps them in the present tense. Without the resurrection, we'd read all of these as something that Jesus was in the past. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead means that all of these I am statements are still true for us in the present tense. He is not some ethereal ghost. He is still who he was. More solid, not less more fully one with humanity, not less human, not less touchable. And so as the scene unfolds around us, I think we do see Mary collapsing into a hug with the same Jesus whom she has known, whom she has walked with and eaten with and sat with. Dale Bruner explains, That for Mary, Jesus is not an untouchable ghost. He is real, an affectionate human being, completely raised back into true physical and living humanity, and not just into ethereal spirituality. Jesus lets Mary Magdalene embrace him for a period of time. But now there are important missions to be done. And so Jesus asked her, please, let go of him for a minute. He has something important to tell her. Easter hope begins in weeping, in caring questions, in someone who looked like a gardener tending the vines. It grows in the ordinariness of a shepherd calling the sheep by name, in a hug between friends who have journeyed on the way together. And finally, Easter hope explodes in testimony. Do not hold on to me, he says, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So Mary goes back to the disciples, not with an explanation of the resurrection, not with a creedal statement that would develop later, but with a simple testimony of where Jesus met her and what she has seen. I have seen the Lord. The risen Jesus reorients her joy from reunion to proclamation. Easter hope explodes with an invitation to tell other people what you are seeing. I have seen the Lord. Some years Easter hope feels so small and fleeting. These are the years when it's a gift to read the Gospel of John, when hope grows in very ordinary ways, when Jesus comes to Mary in ways that we still know him today, looking like everyday people, calling us each by name, in hugs, even if they're few and far between these days, and finally exploding in testimony of all the ways that we have seen the bread of life the light of the world, the gate and the shepherd who lays down his life, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the vine who makes his home among us even as we make our homes among him. Hope erupts in all the ways that we testify to seeing Jesus in the present tense. The pastor and poet J. Shepherd Berry leaves us with a picture of Easter hope. When he writes this, Our Christian symbols seem at times not quite appropriate to the meaning they bear. For instance, take the Easter lily, white and fragile sign of resurrection. Rare in its graceful silent trumpets greets the light of March or April only under the glare of a florist lamp unnaturally bright. You never find them in the open air before July. A better flower for Easter Day would be, as every angry gardener knows, the dandelion. Seated by the gay abandoned wind that as it listeth blows, no matter how we weed out every stray, digging us deep, the roots still deeper goes. And when at last we quit and go away, the rain falls. And a host of fresh, bright foes stands resurrected, and the garden glows. Easter hope seems so small and fleeting at times. Small as a single dandelion that can be mowed down and dug up, but not so easily killed. When I was your interim pastor back in 2018, Pastor Carl and I were riding in Pastor John's car one day early in June. We were on our way to lunch or something. And it was a warm and a sunny day. We were driving down the road, and on the left-hand side, there was an open field. The field was covered from corner to corner with a bright yellow blanket of the hope weed. Pastor John stopped the conversation and got that big Pastor John smile on his face. 
Wow, he said, that sure is beautiful. The God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead raises hope in us in these small and seemingly ordinary ways, in grief, in calling us by name, in hugs, so that now, instead of seeing small and fleeting flowers of hope, we see a blanket of hearty and persistent hope weeds, all testifying to the resurrection and to the enduring I am, the risen Christ who is with us even now by the power of the Spirit of God who raised him from the dead. And so we testify with Mary, I have seen the Lord. And we testify with Pastor John, wow, that sure is beautiful. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God of life, in Jesus Christ, death has been swallowed up in victory. You raised Jesus Christ, the first fruits from the dead. Even as death came through a human, now life has come to us through your Son. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for this life, for this hope of glory. Open our eyes to see the glory of the risen Christ in and among us and then open our mouths to declare your praise, to testify to your grace, to testify to life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.